Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. You are a rebel. Yeah, he's like, I'm either playing hockey or playing the drums. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a drums are playing. In communist regime, you, they would also tell you what songs you have to play. So. <laughs> when I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious. And I don't care. I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. Peter Swoboda, thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, it's so awesome to have you. I've been waiting for this one. I've had Shelly. I've had a few other, my teammates. And I, I never, I'll never forget the day you walked into the locker room and I was in there. You came in, you had a jean jacket on, uh, you had blue jeans on, uh, something that I guess you couldn't get in Czechoslovakia at the time. But you look like this new, young, free man. I'm there. This kid, and again, you didn't have much weight on you or much muscle at the time. You were 17 years old. And honest to God, I I said to myself, this kid's going to get fucking killed out here. But, um, yeah, I guess I want to go back, Pete, and, and, and talk about before you came to Montreal, what it was like growing up behind the Iron Curtain in a communist country and, and how difficult that was on your, your mom and dad and you and your brother. Well, it was, uh, Chris, it was a very different time, as you know, um, <clears throat> Some ways, uh, communism was a horrible thing. You guys probably just heard about it, but you know, it was an idealistic uh, idea that basically did not make you uh, have your own belief. Uh, so, if you did not follow the rules and regulations of the government, you were marked guy, or you know, you, 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 there was no freedom. And I was lucky to uh, be pretty good in, in hockey and. I started to travel uh, uh, in the Western countries like Germany and, uh, you know, Sweden and all that stuff from a very young age. And I saw the difference. Uh, so the only lucky thing of during the communism was that they allowed you to play sports and lots of it, you know. So the sports schools was one of the motivation by how to keep people quiet and everything else. And so I think a full, full advantage of that. So I kind of uh, was lucky because my family was uh, very much from the beginning. My father was a soccer player. My brother was six years older. He played hockey. Um, I did not like hockey very much in the beginning. Uh, you know, my mother put me in music and school much more and everything else. <laughs> what so did you play in music? What did you guitar, play? Guitar until I realized my fingers <laughs> were too short. So, you know, they, they told me you should start drumming. So... <laughs> You know, eventually, uh, I followed my brother's uh, steps, and at age 10, I started to really focus and start playing, which was uh, fairly late. Uh, yeah, so uh, what I would say is that my escape during uh, the time before I made that well, decision... Well, I don't want to get to the escape yet. I want to <laughs> I, I wanna get, you know, I, I want to get to what... Cool? Huh? <laughs> How did I do at school? Great. Yeah. Until no, I start no. playing hockey. Can you, no, do I you wanna... still play the drums? Do you still play the drums? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I should have. <laughs> I want to get to 
because me growing up here, it, it, well, growing up in Boston, and my father was a military guy, and I remember seeing on the TV all the time, Russia, bad Russia, see the um, Red Square with all the missiles and the big parades and everything and how bad Russia was. I also saw, oh, every night in the news, they would show the bread lines, you know, big line to go get a loaf of bread. Where over here, we're walking the store, you buy 10 loaves of bread. It wasn't a big deal. What was that like for mom and dad, like growing up, like feeding their family? Was was it as bad as it was portrayed over here? Was that all propaganda? Well, I will explain to you this way, Chris. Uh, when I look at youngsters nowadays here and uh, how the world is developed, and uh, uh, I think we're living the easiest lives ever. You know what I mean? People don't know how to cook anymore. They, 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 you just, <laughs> and dial up your finger, you just ordering home. You know, I don't think there's too many wives they don't know where, where the kitchen is, you know what I mean? So <laughs> uh, it's not, I know we're 2023, so I don't want to offend, offend anybody, but it was a very different time. And what I learned from my parents, how difficult it was, but to be honest, I they were such a great parents uh, that I never knew we had no money or needs. You know, like, obviously I've seen my, my parents, uh, stand, my, my mom especially standing in line for a lot of things. When we get bananas, then when we get uh, just a certain amount of fruit, uh, let's say for two weeks a year, uh, it was special and we enjoyed it. You know what I mean? And it was, it was difficult, but then at the same time it was real. So, uh, like I've, I, I can't, I cannot even imagine uh really how difficult it was for my parents okay were you were you at a young age like always thinking what you know trying to like i, I want to get out of here from very young age you know i was lucky my father was a great guy like i, I as i said many times the luckiest day of my life was when i had my parents when my parents uh, deliver me and I, I i was really in a great household uh my parents were a uh, great couple uh they basically never made me feel like I was missing on anything. And they they really allowed me from very young age to be the attempt. They allowed me to have my free speech. You know, like uh, they, my father always encouraged me uh, to my lesson from my dad was to always. He told me, be proud of people who know how to do things well, watch them and try to do the same. You know what I mean? Never be jealous of people who are successful. Um, so that, those were my lessons. And uh my mother was an incredible hard worker. I, I remember like her getting up at 5 a.m., uh, taking a, tr a tramway, which is, was like the old trolleys. I, I'm sure you guys see them in Europe for 45 minutes, work until 5.30, then go grocery shopping, make sure that we have our dinner ready and everything else. So um, it, it was a household where we really helped each other and it, it was great. So, you know, like as much as I could come could have complained, uh, thanks to my parents, it, it was a time that I really learned a lot. And But to answer your question, yes, I've, uh, as soon as I could, I knew I, I would have been out of there because I was one of those free-minded individuals from a very young age. I did not believe in the rules like Knox at times, that, 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 the rules that, that rules that make no sense, let's put it this way, you know what I mean? Uh, I was a good listener to people who I knew were real, but if I knew that you were uh, part of my language full of shit, I was not listening. So, so, so you, you grew up in most Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Most yeah. Um, was it uh, an urban community, rural? What what type of community? 
Chris, if you, I wish I could take you there, and hopefully one day, if we make a trip to Europe, we need to go visit so you can see it for yourself. So listen to this. <laughs> I was born in Most, right? Because uh, Litvina was uh, about 10 miles away from Most. And everybody who was living in Litvinov was born in Most because we had no hospital that you can be delivered, right? So my mother had to take the trip with me to go deliver. But in between those two small cities, there was a chemical factory that was, <laughs> you, you, you would not believe, like the trees grew only halfway. You know what I mean? There was so much uh, chemical coming out of that and everything else. So for sure, it was not good for people. Uh, but at the time, there were no rules and regulations, you know what I mean? So it, that's that's where I grew up, and it, it was a town where uh, not very pretty. But uh, the only thing they could have done where we were lucky um, that they created at least uh, the tennis courts, uh, great arena, great sports schools, you know what I mean? So it, it was some of, some of the outlets that we could have that you would forget where you, what you're living next to. And keep you keeping you humble and make you realize when you saw all those people struggling and on a daily basis how lucky we were just to play the game and all that stuff you know what i mean but overall uh as tim asked me if i start from very young age to be out of there yeah it was an easy decision for me so growing up minor hockey did they have like peewee bantam stuff like that or what did they call it uh over there yeah. was it they, peewee they, they, mm -hmm. Basically, they had sports schools, which they were really great success during the communist regime for a great success. Out of the small country in Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia at the time, there was a lot of great hockey players, a lot of great tennis players, and a lot of soccer players and everything else, because that was the real clear motivation for young people to get out and to see the world, you know what I mean? So the motivation was uh, extraordinary, to put it uh, in words, you know what I mean? So... Yeah, there, there were sports schools uh, where you, we were lucky that we had a lot of great coaching as well, a lot of great mentors because, you know, like you have to work within the country, so you really need to create your own fun, Chris, you know? Yeah. So there was very few distractions. You really uh, find a team spirit. Uh, and I was lucky that uh, that the little town Litvinov, uh, where, I, where, I, where I came from, um, I believe at one point in 10 years, uh, there, there was 15 or 16 uh, NHL guys from a small town. When we won the Olympics uh, with the Czech national team in, uh, uh, in 98, there was nine of us from uh, the small town. You know what I mean? Uh, so it, it's, it showed you that, shows you that uh, if you have uh, good mentoring and the, the time to develop, uh, you, can, uh, you can create a lot of great players. So growing up, who was some of those stars you looked up to as a as a Czechoslovakian kid growing up there like did you know anything of the NHL or did you just look at world championships like Russia Germany uh stuff like that who were the stars you looked up to well I was lucky again in that little town we have a guy named called Ivan Linka he eventually uh, in a late yeah. age came and played for Vancouver Canucks. Uh, he was a really colorful guy. He was a, a, a guy who was extremely, uh, he's, he had a great charisma. So he was playing in my town and we all follow his leads. Uh, there was also Yuri Bubla, who also came in in Vancouver yeah. and played for a while. 
So I, I've seen those guys uh, every day, every game they played, you know what I mean? So that was my motivation aspect. Uh, and then in, uh, internationally, uh, I follow obviously the world championships about NHL. We had no idea because it was not televised or not even talk, talked about. But at one point, uh, about uh, two years or three years before I make that decision to uh, de uh, defect, uh, the Chesney brothers came into Quebec. And basically, there was a, like this uh, station, uh, uh, called, uh, Europe 2, uh, that we, uh, not legally, but we could really actually listen to it. So there was a lot of interviews from those guys and, you know, a lot of stories and everything else. So I, I've, I've heard many of those, you know what I mean? So I can start to some way start to picture how it could be. Did those Czech players that you were looking up to that, I mean, did, did you, they probably had to do the same thing you did, right? Like in. Yeah. Uh, well, I was the first guy that Tim who was uh, very young to uh, make that step, you know, so uh, before me, I think there was Nedomansky about 10 years prior. Um, then there was the Chesney brothers, the two of them, uh, then uh, Miro Fritcher. And I was David, I was uh, about a fifth guy, but I was the first one who was uh, extremely young, be actually before I was, uh, before I could be drafted. You know, it's funny. I remember those times and I remember we had a team meeting in Calgary once <clears throat> and it was probably around 82. And there was talk of the Russians coming over and the Eastern Europeans coming over and playing the NHL, right? And the Stassis were already there. But yeah. they were talking about, and they were Czechs, obviously Slovaks. But mm -hmm. they they were talking about, okay, Russians are going to start to come now. And I remember the meeting uh, because everybody was like, no, we don't want the Russians over here. You know, we want to save our jobs. But when you look at it and the way the league expanded, the, the league – couldn't survive without that now. But I remember when the, the talk first started about that. So you're playing. Now you, you play minor hockey, you come up. When does um, when does it start to become apparent that you're, you know, people are looking at you to play on the national team, you know, the younger national teams, you know? Well, um it started fairly early, Chris, because I started. To, I was playing the uh, U20s, the World Championships, as we know, uh, at a very young age. I, I, I believe I was 15 when I played the first one. The second, I was 16. You know, so I was uh, still about three years, uh, two years before the draft, uh, where I could be drafted. And I, there, there were always already at that time scouts from North America, and you know, it was funny because it was. Uh, Guy that you, me and me and you both admired a lot was uh, uh, Claude Ruel. He was uh, the scout for uh, the Canadians, and he uh, he through translation uh, translators and everything else, uh, you know, ran into me at the hotel with, uh, and they were saying that they would have some interest and everything else. So that that, that was the first time where I got the idea of uh, maybe have a chance to play the, in the best league in the world. But uh, to be honest, uh, my uh, my uh, the way I was thinking is that I, I was defecting no matter what, even if I would have to uh, just work somewhere or if I would be playing in Germany or anywhere else in Europe. I just did not agree with the system. So for me, 
uh, it was a clear understanding that I am not going back. You are a rebel. Yeah, he's like, I'm either playing hockey or playing the drums. <laughs> yeah, well, drums, hey, and Tim, and drums are playing in communist regime, you, they would also tell you what songs you have to play. So, <laughs> you know I mean? so, so you go and you're playing um, in the uh, world championships, right? Under 18, right? Yeah. The world championships in West Germany. Yeah. So before you get there, what happens and how do you get the message? Who gives you the message that, hey, Peter, after that game, take a shower, throw your clothes on and get the hell out of there. Who delivers you that message the first time? Well, you got to like this. Uh, as soon as we, we were obviously taking a bus from uh, Prague and I was the older guy because I was already playing the U20s. Um, and so we were we were playing some cards on the back of the bus. And as soon as we uh, passed the uh, control from east to west, I opened up the uh, little window and I took one of my... The, the, during the communist regime, you had like another pass... You have passport, but then you have like this communist uh, book that you always have to introduce yourself everywhere by. The manifesto. Yeah, the manifesto, something <laughs> like that, yeah. So uh, as soon as we as soon as soon we uh, passed the thing, I opened the window and I, I said, guys, look, and I threw it out. And they had no idea why I did that, right? So I, I could not tell anybody because you never knew at the time. We, still, we always had the one guy uh, traveling with us who would uh, inform and, you know, he will not allow you to uh, cross the border. And I basically played the whole tournament. I think we finished second or we maybe even we won it, I think. And as everybody celebrates, I really quickly took shower. And I just, uh, my aunt was living in Munich at the time. So I was hoping that I somehow I'm going to get to Munich to her and everything else. But as I'm walking out and I took my gear and I'm walking out and everything else, I ran into one of the... Uh, uh, ex-players that uh, you might also knew, uh, Tim, you play in Europe, uh, Eric Kinnackle. His son is playing uh, yeah. in, uh, he was playing in the league for Pittsburgh as well. And Eric was actually living in Germany for many years, and uh, he was a really big star down there. So when I saw him, he says hello to me, and I told him exactly that what I am doing, and he goes, okay, come with me. You know, so what you uh, told him what you were doing, you were going to leave. I, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not going back. You know, so he, he says, OK, come with me. So he hosted me at his house for a few days. Then I got in touch with my uh, aunt and uh, then we started process. I had to wait for about two months uh, before I, I was uh, I, I was able to be drafted. That was like I think I defected in February and that draft was in June. Yeah. So, uh, so no right, one, Peter, no one from the Canadians like got to you before that no, and said anything. So no. you de just defected on your own. You on my own, Chris. So like uh, there was no plan. There was no commitment from your NHL team. I, as I said to you prior, like I was, I was staying no matter what. I would have played in Germany or I would, I would play in any European leagues. So uh, Eric helped me for the first week. Uh, then eventually I stayed with my aunt in uh, Munich for about uh, two months. But soon as uh, the word came around that I defected, uh, like about three, four days later, 
Eric, uh, 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 give me a phone number to the guy who was coaching in Germany, a guy named Craig Sarner out of Minnesota. Yeah. And he basically said, uh, I would like to represent you. I would like to be your agent and vice versa. And he started the process. So about four to five days later, a, mo a lot of the NHL team were coming to Germany to meet with me. And I remember uh, the, uh, who uh, Clay, Cliff Fletcher. Uh, there was a lot of those guys, Lunani, uh, you know, and they were coming and they they were extremely nice. Uh, they knew that uh, they weren't they they couldn't guarantee that I will go play for them, but they understood the human story and they basically all giving me money, you know, to make sure I'm okay. And at one point, yeah, at one point, I realized that I had close to seventy thousand dollars from these people. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah, they, they were nice. They were extremely nice. And I, I was not, you know, I, I couldn't speak English at the time. So I was represented by this guy with a tr translator, but they were just extremely positive and extremely nice. So uh, during that time, I basically had my agent to do my uh, representation. And then about a week before the draft, uh, Chris, he told me, get ready, we're flying to Montreal. And I go, okay, like I, I figured that I will go to New Jersey maybe because they were like number two, I think. Toronto was number four. They had interest and everything else. And he goes, yeah, I made it. This is going to be great for you. You're going to Montreal. And I, I did not ask any more questions. So I got on a plane and uh, I landed in Montreal in uh, Mirabel at the time. And who waited for me in the big stretch limo was uh, Jacques Lemaire. Wow. Yeah. So Jaco so, was there. Yeah, Jaco. Only Jaco was there waiting for me, which was, you know, like I had no idea who he was at that time. Did he have a translator? No. Jeez, so you know, this is funny. I'm, I'm so glad I've had you because, you know, I, I've always heard the story that, you know, the story that was out there was that oh, Serge and them set it all up with you. And after the game, you showered, ran up, got in the car and jumped in a plane and came to Montreal. So that's no. the story that's out there. And it didn't happen that way. No. So was, now, Eric, was Eric part of the plan or did you just run into him? Who? No, yeah. I just ran into him. He was yes. not part of the plan. Wow. Wow. So when you, after you, wow. Peter, after you showered after that game, yeah. Okay. You made your mind up. You're leaving. So you just bumped into Eric. I bumped that? into Eric because my I had about 150 uh, francs with me. Yeah. So I knew I knew that would get me from Lanzu to Germany somehow. You know and what you I mean? were gonna get to your to your aunt's my house. And ho yeah. Hopefully she would have follow up and help me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as I'm walking, then I bump into Eric and uh, and the, the guy Craig Sarner who said right away, "Come, we will take care of you." And no, 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 no. So I stayed there for about the, for about maybe ten days, Chris. Yeah, and they fed me. They 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 kept me at their house. They made me feel really like at home, and that's how it all started. That yeah. takes so a lot of a lot of yeah. balls to do what you did. Did you have to get all new equipment, <laughs> hockey equipment? No, I had it with me. Uh, okay. that's, the only, yeah. that's the only that I do. I do. I, 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 they, 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 now, when I'm saying that, they, they're probably going to charge me. With, they, they're going to bill me for it. You know what I mean? So, so you hop in the limo and it's Jacques Lemaire. Does he have an interpreter? Does 
No. So what's that like? The two of you just like <laughs> looking at each other. We'd be sitting, we'd be sitting in this big limo, and he's, uh, you know, he's looking at me with a smile, and I'm smiling back, and we try to just go, <laughs> my, my, you know, mimic with our heads, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And right, when I was in Russia, we would do that. We, I would talk English, yeah. and they would talk Russian, and there would be yeah. nothing <laughs> would happen. So yeah. you, you had the same experience that yeah, time. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. I was sitting in this limo, and I, the, the forty-five or fifty minutes must have been fairly long for Jacques. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> yeah, but you kind so, of like this. Don't interrupt me, Chris. You kind of laugh at this. Go, go, baby, go. So we get to uh, we, we get to uh, Ritz Carlton. Jacques checks me in. Beautiful hotel. Yeah, I'm amazing. Like I'm, you know, I'm I'm saying, wow, this is not bad. <laughs> uh, so. And they said to me through a translator, they already had a translator. They said, please uh, be ready for 7 p.m. for dinner. The, the management wants to meet you. So I go, okay, no problem. So I go there, it's uh, 7 o'clock. I was early, you know what I mean? Because I was, you know, excited about the, who I'm going to meet and all that stuff. And I hear I'm sitting all the way up on the top floor. You know, there was a terrace, uh, Chris, you, 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 we were there a few times. Yeah. And... I hear people laughing and talking, and so I go, here they come. So as they walked in, I see how frozen they were in their face when they saw my size. <laughs> it was Sergi, it was Ronald all those guys. They were like, holy shit, this guy is 165 pounds. <laughs> they were exactly what you saw when I come into the dressing room. They were thinking shocked. exactly the same thing. They were probably calling Claude Ruel and saying to him, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what, what are you, blind in one eye? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was That's blind in one eye. Was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was my first uh, uh, introduction to Serge and Ronald Corey and uh, Andre Boudria was there as well. Yeah. Uh, time you know so and Jacques was there so he probably told him that please do not uh, tell him anything about his size right from the beginning and you know so so did they have an interpreter yeah yeah they did at the time okay. there they was a guy who was translating for me I was gonna say up to this point have you had any communication with like your parents or anybody back home you know what? I did not. I I I try. I wrote them letters. I was not sure if they will receive it or not. You know what I mean? Uh, they did not uh, for a while. But uh, there was a Eric Kinhackle knew someone how to get in touch, and he they basically knew that I was okay. Yeah. So now uh, the draft is coming in June, and did you get any indication that evening at dinner that we're for sure gonna take you? Yeah, they, they told me for sure they're taking me. They were only afraid that if someone will find out. Basically, what Serge did, he brought me uh, into Montreal and everybody else lost in touch with me. So they were not sure if I'm if I going to go back, if I went back or not. You know what I mean? So they were fairly sure that uh, if uh, no one takes me before them, uh, that they will draft me, yes. Yeah, well, they had the fifth pick. And, yeah. Um, uh, listen, no one's going to pick you over Lemieux. No. Because he was picked first that year. No. And then it was Mala, Olchek, and I, Afraidy. Now, yeah. um, Serge, uh, well, obviously he kept that quiet that you were there. But um, 
you you didn't go to the draft. So you were hiding, weren't you, somewhere? And they produced you? Oh, and they-, they basically make me uh, – I was just staying in the room in Montreal. Uh, and the day of the draft, I forgot the gentleman's name. He was working for with uh, Serge for a long time. Uh, he basically picked me up. He uh, Ron Caron? No, no. I, you would not know. Like he, he was around only for a while. Okay. And I, I think it was a Serge's friend more than anyone else, because I, I, I think also Serge wanted to keep it quiet from the media here. Now that I understand that. So he took me right next door to the Ritz Carlton and got me a suit. And he says, "Let's go. We're going to be we to draft." So <laughs> throw the suit on, and yeah, um, very nice one though. He was an expensive suit. I know that for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so was it the draft then? What? Because I I didn't even know about the draft, Christ, when I was a kid. I didn't have a clue what it was or anything. Were you sitting like? Were other guys there that were going to be drafted? Like Mario Lemieux, was he there? Was yeah, Chris? It was pretty much the way it was the way it is now already in the '84. Like yeah. it was a full, it was a full arena. The tables were on the floor, and they basically kept me. Uh, I don't know what time it was, but it was like early in the day, and they kept me in the dressing room. And as soon as uh, they the, the fourth uh, choice was made. They brought me out through the uh, old tunnel, you know, the, the one with the exit sign that you broke about 18 times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me included. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, how, then, how, how nervous were you? How nervous were you? Like, yeah, this is going to happen. How excited, nervous, all that. Sitting in that room waiting. You know, like I was, I, I would, I, I, when I, when I, when I go back to it, I, I probably before sure I was a bit nervous and everything else, but I, you know, um, it was just like so much at the same time that you, I, I, I don't think that you even realize what was happening. You know what I mean? So, uh, all of a sudden, I don't know if you ever, maybe you should find a picture of me when, when, when they brought me out. What a just... story though. I mean, if I went like a hundred yards from my house without my cell phone, I'd have like a panic attack. <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, like, what a story. You know, I, think I was lucky. I started to get panic attacks only in a, later on in life. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah. know what panic attacks were at the time. So so up to this point, Peter, were you, did you have any regret? Like, were you ever thinking like, shit, I shouldn't have done this? Like, I should be back home? Not, 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 not once. Um, you know, like once you make a decision and then it, it was not a decision that I made for benefits of getting rich or playing in the best league. I, I, I really did it because uh, the, the communist regime did not agree with me. And there was a many reasons for that. I, I see people getting supplicated, the very intelligent people, if they were doctors or whatever, but profession. And you basically were living on the borders that uh, you, uh, your neighbor was rotting on you. You know what I mean? Uh, like, it, it was just like, uh, it, it was really, you suffocated there. So. I never really, uh, not once, uh, I had a regret. Uh, for me, I was always born this way. It was a new challenge. It was something that I wanted to do, uh, something to experience. And, you know, so I, the fear was the fear factor was not existing at, at that time for me. So, Pete, you defect. Yeah. You get drafted. Before you left, did you ever discuss this with mom and dad and your brother? 
I did uh, only mention it to my father because I knew my mother would not be able to handle it because we were very What did your father say? He supported me in it. Uh, he goes, like, you know what, uh, I don't That had you. to be such an emotional moment saying, Dad, I, like, I'm going to leave. It was, and- it was because I come from very extremely close-knitted family, right? So you, you would figure that I would stay home just for the benefit of to stay home around them and everything else. Yeah. But when I was making that decision, uh, Chris, it was wow. not, not based on my self, selfishness, but it was really, I did, I was so lucky to have a father who had an open mind and who he, he understood it. And he would have probably done it the same way and his age, if he could have, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, when we had that conversation, I remember exactly when that was, uh, it was after the world junior championships in Sweden, when, when I came back home for two months. And then I went to play the 18 year old. So as we driving from the airport where he picked me up, I said to him that the next time around, I'm not coming back. You know, what did he say? He was fairly quiet for a while. And he goes, listen, I don't blame you. I'm supporting you in your thing, but you cannot tell this to anyone because you will, as I knew. And I said to him, "I, I cannot even say this to my mom because I knew that she will not be able to handle it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, she would have had a hard time, I right? I said, could you please take care of her when this will happen? And I, if everything works out the way it's supposed to, we will see each other again. You know what I mean? So uh, that's that's how I left it. Fuck. To, to, yeah. That's incredible. And and um, we'll get to that part when you see each other again because it was fucking so emotional and so cool. I always there, Tim. And really? we'll get to wow. it. But, wow. But... What you leave now, you're here, you get drafted. Um, what happens to mom and dad? What happens to dad? Dad was coaching hockey in Czechoslovakia, right? At the time, he, he, he was, was very involved. Of, he was a manager of the main, the, the professional the team with, uh, you know, Ivan and all that stuff. So he was uh, very, uh, he had a great job. Soon as I, soon as they find out that I defected, uh, they both lost their jobs immediately. Yeah. So when your parents lose their jobs, how do they survive now moving forward? And your brother, obviously. Uh, how, how, do you, like how do your parents put food on the table? How do they pay their bills? So what goes on there? They were lucky to have enough to survive the first uh, three, four months, you know, like, and then when I got my signing bonus, uh, when I signed with Montreal, uh, you kind of like this one here as well. You can ask Sergio. So we go to the RBC bank and near to the old forum, you know what I mean? And I think I got a hundred thousand signing bonus or something. So after tax, you get a hundred thousand. Good for you. Yeah. I got got 7,500. I I, I, I signed a very good deal there. You know what I mean? Because, um, so he went through a lot to get to that bonus. (laughs) I didn't hold on to the money for long either. So just listen to that. So Serge is proud. He's bringing me to the RBC bank and, He's saying, like, kid, you have, like, 51000 There's a bank card. When you go into this, uh, don't be surprised when money comes out of the wall. He was making fun of me. <laughs> so I said to him, don't worry. Just leave 2000 and the rest, I need to send it to my parents. And he goes, uh, hold on. You're going to need to have some money to live on. I said, I know. I'm going to get a paycheck eventually because I talked to my agent at the time already with translator. 
So I was fortunate enough that I could send them the money. So, uh, you know, the, my first sending bonus went they're, 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 they're absolutely to them. And, you know, at, at the time, dollar compared to the check run, whatever it was, it was like a lot. So that made me feel right away comfortable because I knew that they were okay. You know, financially. Were, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so that, that was, uh, that's how, how they survived it from then on, you know, so. If you're like me and you're going to play some golf this summer, you have to check out this hidden gem. Windmill Heights sits atop the beautiful hills in Notre Dame de Perot. They have affordable rates and they offer customized membership opportunities for all levels. If you want to book a tee time, call 514-453-7177. Hit them straight. If you love your pet like I love my St. Bernard Adele, You'll want to feed them a balanced, biologically appropriate, raw diet. The reason I've chosen Formula Raw is because all blends of their food are locally sourced and they consist of exclusively human-grade meat and organs, as well as fruits and vegetables. And all products used are hormone and antibiotic-free. So like I said, if you love your pet like I love Adele, you'll choose Formula Raw. Make sure you go to FormulaRaw.com and use the promo code RAWNUX at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. That's RAWNUX, R-A-W-K-N-U-X. You're drafted. Now it's coming to training camp. Did um, that first training camp, and again, I don't remember exactly you the first time you stepped on the ice. I remember the first time you stepped in the locker room. Uh, with the jean jacket and the jeans, and I'm looking at you, I'm going, God, this kid's going to get fucking killed. Here's another one I'm going to have to protect. So, but, <laughs> but Peter, and I told this to Tim, you know, we, we were talking about you as a player, and I said um, one thing about Peter, yeah, he was small, skinny kid when he came in, but he could be a prick, and he, he, he you know, I'm sure he was scared at times playing in Boston the first time, small rink, all these fucking idiots chasing him down. But I told him the story. Once you kind of got comfortable and you knew guys around you were going to be there for you, you also stood up for yourself. And I remember the night uh, you hit you hit someone in the corner. Miller was battling for the puck, and then he came back to the front of the net, and he had given you a shot earlier in the shift. And he fell in front of that, and you come in and fucking cross-check Jay right in the fucking head, neck and head from behind, and he went down. And I was sitting on the bench. I'm there, holy shit. I was shocked. And I just thought that was such a display of courage on your part for being a small kid. Being on, I just couldn't believe it. And you played with that edge. You had that edge. Um, what... What was it like that first training camp for you, like coming in and all of a sudden here I am, Montreal Canadian? What was that like? And you couldn't, uh, you, you couldn't, you weren't bilingual yet either. You, you you had a few words here and there, right? Oh yeah. Well, I had a summer here where I tried to learn as much as I could, but my, I was still extremely limited. So uh, I, I know that I was living with Serge for the first month and a half after the draft with his uh, children. Yeah. And, and Junior and Marco. Yeah, Junior, Marco and Katu and Ola. And I remember him telling them something in the car, and I kind of tried to start to understand. 
please do not show him any of the videos of the fighting and everything else because <laughs> all that crap, you know what I mean? But kids are kids, so they show it to me anyways. They, 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 they were telling me what the media was saying, that I will not survive one year in the league, and how small I am and everything else. And Chris, to be honest, like I, I, I was a small guy. I was 18 years old. I was getting in, into my, you know, like uh, getting through my puberty. Yeah, your yeah, balls were dropping. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, as you know. Big you should balls. Not there anyways. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was not afraid. But one thing I was not, it's not I, I, I was a fighter, never. Uh, if, but I never back up from anyone. If What's the worst thing happens to you? You get beat up or you get hit, you know what I mean? So uh, that's something that I never had in me to begin with, even from when I play in Europe, you know what I mean? So I remember the, uh, the first game I played in a men's league as a 15-year-old, and I actually have to protect my brother, who was six years older, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. Uh, but with your help, I, I, I remember like when we play Hartford, Tim, you're going to like this one here. And <laughs> guy, guy named uh, Pat Butet and uh, what was the other guy's name? The guy with Tory Tori Robertson? No. no Lemlin? 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 He, uh. Uh, you fought him also in the bar one time, Chris. <laughs> oh, Lumley, Lumley. Lumley, Lumley, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So-called so, so these two tough guys, they were not tough. You know, like Pat Buter was also like, but they tried to bully me down. Chris is standing next to me and uh, Pat Buter is going, you fucking call me. I will fucking, you will not touch the pack tonight, blah, blah, blah. Wow. You know what I mean? And Chris is standing next to me and he goes, what did you say? <laughs> I know, but with that fucking bleeding, uh, <laughs> guess what? I, I never see Pat Butet and Lemlin ever again after that. You know? I mean, I said, fucking, like, Chris Nunn is a great guy, but no, Chrissy, Chrissy was uh, one of the best teammates, uh, great, one of the best people I ever met in my life. So well, uh, I appreciate that, Pete. No, that, no, that's that's factual. I I remember also uh, Chrissy when. You got traded uh, because of Pudding Head and all those uh, people around here. <laughs> yeah. And we had that goodbye party in Wanda's. Oh, fuck. And, yeah, and uh, I remember a lot of guys uh, crying. So, uh, yeah, I was you, Chris, Even though it took him probably five years to understand you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you know you what? still I don't with, understand him yet. I was with Chrissy for so long, Tim, that I almost had a few words I had Boston accents. Yeah, you had <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, God, we had fun. I, I was telling Tim earlier about um, we lived in the same building, and you were uh, with Shelly down. Neon. Alexis <laughs> Neon. And, and – you know, I was upstairs, uh, probably on the 25th floor, and you guys were on, like, 17. And Shelly yeah. would say, oh, come and watch the hockey game tonight. I come down, I walk in, there's all women everywhere. And that was the night you drank the big glass of vodka and got sick, remember? No, I forget. How could I remember it? <laughs> yeah. oh, you were, it was so funny. We were doing shots of vodka. Peter said, ah, we, this is how we drink over there. He took a big glass like that and boom. That, that, and that's, how Chris, that's how Chris got me into trouble. Thing, guys, <laughs> these times are gone because, uh, Tim, just think about it. I was living, we were living in about three minutes. No, no. Uh, I'd say 50 meters from uh, the, the uh, old forum. And I was late for the practice the next day, so <laughs> it was a good night. <laughs>
We had some you, fun. How did you adjust to Mont- the actual city? What did you? Th- what was your thoughts right when you when you came there? You know what? It was amazing. Like the team of uh, players and uh, the the uh, guys in the dressing room. Uh, it, it was a blessing for me as an eighteen year old. You know, when you when you're eighteen and you get money, and at the time, like I signed fairly good deal, and you know, all of a sudden, without playing the first game, people telling you, "Oh my God, this is this guy." And then, huh? But with the characters like Larry Robinson, Chrissy, uh, Bob Gainey, uh, Steve Shot, Pierre Mondu, uh, I can name most of them. They were like, uh, I, I, all of a sudden, I have a nineteen uh, fathers. You know what I mean? Because they understood my, my age, they understand where I was at, and they extended themselves to the point where uh, you will never forget that. And that I, I really truly believe. Uh, when you make a, a choice in life and you make uh, you better on yourself and by me coming to Montreal in the dressing room and uh, the the way they were humble, you know, we, we had guys at a time who won eight, nine, eight, nine Stanley Cups, you know, they didn't have to do any of that. But what I learned the first, uh, if something needed to be done, they would be the first one to do it. So, so, yeah, so Peter, yeah, you were fortunate and you left, you live with Serge, you live yeah. with the Wilson family for a while, right? Yeah. And um, I guess I want to get to the part where, because um, I don't remember the exact year and how many years it was since you saw your mom, but I remember going to the airport with you when your mother got off the plane. I was in tears. I could not believe what an emotional moment. It was... Honestly, it was one of the the most emotional moments I've been around in my life. And to yeah. see that, you meeting your mom, like you kept it from your mom you were defecting, you end up leaving, she must have been devastated yeah, to yeah. say, to think, I'm never going to see my son again. And then yeah. that day at the airport. How cool was that? It was amazing, Chris. And uh, you know what? I did. I didn't hear what really happened to her uh, after I left uh, because my father and they obviously kept it from me. She almost had uh, like a mental breakdown. Uh, you know, like her not knowing. Uh, yeah. So they, 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 she need. They need to put her on pills. They needed to put her on a lot of different uh, things. And. They kept it away from me uh, until even when when I saw her, we, we, we never really never really come up and. Basically, it was incredible. Like, I mean, uh, I always uh, was hoping and believing that uh, we will get reunited uh, and all that stuff, but there was never guarantees, you know what I mean? So, uh, obviously, uh, the best way was that I find you guys here. Uh, I was very busy with just to make the team and all the new stuff that you need to learn, the language and all, you know. But... As I said, uh, it, it was, I cannot put it in words so that the day when Serge told me, oh my God, I can get them here. Like, you, you know, like I couldn't believe it until I saw them. So, and yeah, right. you were with you How, were long, how long? That's so cool. How long did they stay? Uh, they stayed for about two weeks. Uh, they let, let them come in, I believe, one at a time. Uh, there was a guy, my minister of sports in Canada, named Otto Jelinek, who was a, like a figure skater. And yeah. he somehow got them, before the wall came down, he somehow got them one at a time here. Also, with the extremely great help from Serge and Ronald Corey and the, the organization here, for sure. 
Yeah, that is so cool, right? To be able yeah. to reunite like it did. And honestly, yeah. for me to be part of that and see that, it was just incredible. So, yeah. So here you are, that young kid, come over here, play with the Habs for eight seasons. Um, And then in that um, 90-91 season, no, 91-92 season, um, my last year of hockey was your last year with the Canadians. What happened there and uh, when it came time to get traded? What, were you surprised? Were, did you feel betrayed? What, was, what were your feelings around the trade? To Buffalo. You know what, Serge? Uh, you know, Chris, what happened is that you, you got traded, uh, uh, Chris Chilios got traded, and things start to change. Like uh, the, 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 the guys that I played play with for eight years, the, the chemistry was going away, right? So Serge offered me a, a really good deal for three or four more years. And uh, at the time, I was uh, young, I was maybe stubborn or proud or whatever it was, and I, I basically did not want to stay any longer, you know what I mean? I, was there a lot of reasons? No. I, I think the disappointment of all these uh, trades that I took it to personally, probably, yeah, uh, it affected me much more uh, than uh, it should. And I remember the the conversation we had with Serge several times because he, he I'm I was really close to him. He obviously was the guy who gave me the chance, the opportunity, uh, let me stay in his house. And I was saying no to him, and he was offering me extremely good money for extra four more years. You know what I mean? And do I regret it? Was I surprised? No, because I asked for it. Uh, do I regret it? No. Because, uh, you know, once you make that decision, you go. And at that, at that time, there were things uh, that happened that I did not agree as a player. And maybe, you know, like we learn as we go older, uh, I just made a decision and I stick by it. You know what I mean? So when I got traded to Buffalo, it was not uh, uh, the, the best uh, city or whatever. The grass but, wasn't greener. No, it was not. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I, but I still play for another, I, I believe, ten years. So uh, I enjoyed it, uh, Buffalo. I enjoyed Philly. I enjoyed Tampa. You know what I mean? So it was, uh, it was fun. What was it like for you personally to win a Stanley Cup? Was that something you dreamed out? Oh, uh, it was, it was incredible. It was my uh, second year, you know, and and with the guys to see, just see, see the journey, and you're still learning so much. You're only second year in your league. You know what I mean? Uh, then we went to the finals in the 89. We, we, I was hoping for another one. And then I got to the finals also with Philly in 98, I believe. And you, know, you never win it again. So, but the, the, the uh, uh, living in Montreal, as you know, we know it's just a mega for hockey. And just like the way they love the game, it's incredible. And it's, it was extremely a lot of fun. But the friendships and um, the first eight years, where we were not making that kind of big money. My second half of the career, we started to make a lot more. And there was many flights coming back. My second half of the career where I was thinking, like I would rather return the money and go back to where we were before because it was so much more fun. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, so it, it was it was amazing. Uh, we, we, all, we, we all three of us know uh, how difficult it is to win it and everything else, but there was a lot of uh, every year I enjoyed it. 
Yeah. You know, that Stanley Cup 86, right? And it's funny, when you get there and you win it, you're like, oh, we'll get back here again. You, you think, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll get back here. And, you like, how grateful to have been able to win that one Stanley Cup. And you know here in Montreal, Henry has 11, uh, Conway A, uh, 10 Stanley Cups. This one got four. This one got six. This one got five. And I still walk around today and people say, hey, Chris, good to see you. Hey, how many cups you got? And I always say this. I go, one. They go, only one? I'm like, fuck yeah. you. Only one. <laughs> if you knew, if you fucking knew what it took to get that one, son of a bitch. Yeah, people yeah. were so spoiled here, right? They're spoiled. Yeah, yeah. until it happens, uh, you don't – there's so much that needs to go into this, like uh, health, luck, all of it. It's, yeah. You know, like the one in the 98 when we lost uh, with Philly – we lost the four straight to Detroit. The Detroit won their first one. We, and we started at home the first two games. We, we, we walked through the teams the first three, Chris. It was the easiest thing we had. You know, Lindros, the, 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 the Leclerc line. and But, but we, we were just steamrolling people. Yeah. But we had about a week off. And I started to see, and I, I was telling the guys, I said, guys, it's going to go by really fast. We need to take one shift at a time right from the beginning because before you know, someone is winning the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was unfortunate. I was like, I was with Eric Desjardins. We were like our top D pairing, I think, at the time. And I broke my foot the first game and, and, the, and the finals. And then I was on the crutches and I was full of seeing uh, the Philadelphia Flyers deteriorating internally. You know, we've yeah. been there a couple of times, and uh, then you realize how how lucky and how good and it, it, it takes it, it takes the army to win it. You know what I mean? So it yeah. is really special to have at least one. Chris, we can say that, right? Yeah. We Who was your one. D partner? Who was your D partner in Montreal? Uh, well, I was lucky. I was playing with uh, Big Bird, Larry Robinson, Larry. the first. Uh, First four or five years, and we were roommates, and uh, we laughed a lot. Uh, Larry's God, he took guy. care of you, right? Oh, God. What? How How comforting was that to know Big Larry? Because he was, you know, he's like a father to all of us, and, right. and probably more so to you, but he was to me, too. He's like that guy you looked up to, but to to roommate with him and then and then be on the ice with him, like – well, it was incredible, but he, Larry was so convincing that as a, a very young guy, he he said to me, you should live in the same area where I live. So I go, where do you live? And he goes about 50 minutes out of Montreal. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So I went there, I bought a house then, you know what I mean? So we were driving <laughs> together 50, <laughs> minutes, 50 minutes back. <laughs> he did not have to go on the morning skate, but I did. So twice, 50 minutes, you calculate, I go like, I got fucked on this, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then, then you guys are gonna like this one here, uh, which how life is unfair sometimes. So, I'm driving one time after the game with Larry and he, he and his pickup truck, and somehow we got into what my salary was the first year. So I told them, you know, at the time it, it was not uh, open like it is now. So I told him I we almost had an accident because I was making more than him. Which is crazy. Which is crazy, right? So I, I go, oh, my God. So then Serge calls me back and he goes, you cannot tell people how much you make. <laughs> and all this stuff. So 
But uh, it just, yeah, it, it was, Larry was one of the, uh, yeah, I was lucky to, to have someone like this because he, he told me right away when things were going well to him, he was telling me, kid, make sure that you don't read a paper one way or the other in the city. You know what I mean? Just stay, stay in the middle somewhere. Just come Good by this man. house way far away. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, but, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> I, I realized really quickly it was not a great idea. I was late in the practice several times. Yeah. So you go on Buffalo, Philly, Tampa, and it's time to retire. 2001, you retire. You played 19 games your last season. You played over 1,000 games, which is incredible. Good good on you. Here's this skinny little kid who came in the NHL who no one thought he'd last. You play 1,000 games. You're durable. You didn't take any shit from anybody. Uh, you stuck up for yourself, your teammates, you were right in there. You always stuck your nose right in there. And uh, it's an impressive career, no question. Thank your you, second career, you went on. Um, uh, when you first retired in 2001 there, what are you thinking? What am I going to do next? You know, we all struggle with that as athletes. When it's over, we got to find our way and what direction we're going. How do you find your way and what you end up doing right away when you get out of hockey? Chrissy, I had a lot of concussions. Uh, as you know, like I was uh, uh, running to uh, Greeny the other day in the old-timers room uh, here in Montreal. The first time I see him in, uh, after like 30 years. And he was always telling me, kid, you don't have to go in that corner like that. you know." <laughs> but I didn't listen. So I had a lot of concussions and everything else. So I was, by the time I retired, I was, I was done. I broke my neck in Philly. Uh, then I played for another four years. So I, I was done. Like my, my body was just like, it was done. Yeah. So it took me a while to just uh, really refocus and just like really work on just to feel normal again. Uh, and then all of a sudden I got a phone call from uh, Robert Lang and uh, uh, Pablo Kubina. They, they said, that we, we have been going into our contract here. Can you do, can you do our deals? So I, I said, that's something might, uh, something, something I might like. So I said, like, let, let me let me see if I can do it. You know, if I'm, you know, I know I can talk at times, but you know, I don't want to promise you something that it will make no sense. And all of a sudden, it snowballs. So I start to I, I recruited uh, three or four guys from Europe uh, who work for me, and we started to do the, like the training camps and just basically giving the knowledge of the young kids. So so I I, I built my own agency. Um, and I did it for about, like I say, 14 to 15 years after that. So I was yeah. representing quite a few players. Uh, you know, it was fun. Um, then at one point about, I would say, four or five years ago, I, I did not like it any longer because uh, maybe because I did it for a while. And I'm not one of those people who will lie to the clients and just tell them how good they are at times and all the time. And, you know, uh, it, it, the games change. You know what I mean? The, the yeah. parents were much more so... Then eventually I uh, I let I let that one go and uh, yeah and I enjoyed the transition. Uh, you know I had kids at the time that were young. They were into they were into tennis. And uh, about a year and a half later, after I retired, I started this company and it kept me extremely busy. And uh, I, I think for uh, us uh, athletes, we need our uh, scheduling. We need our yeah. things. To, uh, you know, right, Tim. We, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. need your mail money. Yeah. Here's yeah. your room yeah. key. Yeah. Be, yeah. Here at eight. Be here at eight. Go take a piss at eight ten. Video at eight twenty. 
Yeah, I missed that. I, it's hard mm -hmm. to, to create your own structure. Well, I, I think I, I'm living also sober life. I did not go to the rehab. I'm living sober life for the last seven years. Uh, it's the best yeah. thing I ever done. Yeah. I think you guys both do the same. Uh, and then yeah. you realize how wonderful that is. You know what I mean? To mm -hmm. see the days uh, every day without a hangover or you just everything else and it, it you know it, but it takes about the, uh, several years before we learn and come to that conclusion you know what i mean so uh the routine is something that is crucial and it makes you successful no matter what you do uh, because your life is successful you know what i mean so the way i look at life now uh, chris uh, after so many years and so many experiences and living in so many different places and uh being you have an exciting life no question yeah. right not boring. Uh, let's uh, like my father no. said. When you're on pier, it's never boring. You know what I mean. So. Well, I was gonna ask to go back real, just real quick. Is is you You know, you got the story. You left. What did it mean yeah. to you to win a gold medal in the Nagano? There you go. You know, it was probably that ever best thing happened to that country. And just think about it, how crazy that is. Like I defected because we were under a Russian regime. So we, 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 we were hating Russians, you know what I mean? For no reason that they say some of the players I play with are great guys. And, you know, but the regime basically, we hated it, you know, so you, it's in you, it's this and that. So we, we go to uh, play in the Nagano, but the first uh, tournament that uh, they allow the NHL guys, you know what I mean? Uh, so I, I see half of the team from Europe. Half, and the only the reason why I went is because Ivan Linka, the guy we're talking about, was the coach. And he was a dear friend of mine for all my life. So he calls me and he says, uh, I need you to come and play. And I I, I, I before that, I said I will never play for Czech Republic ever because of uh, all the uh, people who were in the system before were still there. But it has changed. So I, I went and it was amazing. I, I think the, the, the celebration and everything else, I didn't go back because I did. Uh, uh, I went straight back to Philly. But when I saw the celebration, the country never experienced anything like it. And I, I was not a goal scorer. And I, I got lucky to score a goal. You scored the winning goal, yeah, right? Yeah. In the final wow. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, it was like, put it, I would put it to you this way. Did I feel like I was real Czech? Yeah, some ways you do, you do, you, you from there, you know what I mean? But the pride and Ivan and the, the two weeks we experienced in the, going through US, going through Canada, you know what I mean? And all that stuff. So it, it was a great memory. So you get out of the gym. That's an awesome, like scoring that only go against the Russians. I mean, it's like, see you later. That, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. Um, and, and good on you, Pete. Uh, because, you know, you look at your stats, you weren't a goal scorer. You're more of a, a cis guy and a, a puck mover and a great, elegant. You were an elegant skater. And no, but Chris, stop it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop it. <laughs> no, but you were. You were. You were elegant. Well, I, I think that's the best way to explain your skating style. You are elegant. You're like a swan on the ice. Um, so, what did they so, call me in Boston? What was What they call me in Boston all the time? Uh, what they call you? Peckerhead? No, they know they Chicken neck or something like that. Chicken neck or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they call you chicken, chicken head or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fuckers. Um, <laughs> so you get out of the agent business and you become co-owner and director of hockey operations at Lausanne Hockey Club in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, uh, did you enjoy that? And, and 
Are you still doing it or what's going on? No, I, you know what? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge. Uh, we went there and I, my two, in the beginning, the two partners were two billionaires. One of them, many billions, the other one, few billions, right? So <laughs> I was the poor guy in the house, you know what I mean? So it was not only about hockey. It was about also the arena. It was about the concerts. It was about uh, the structuring of the academy and everything else. And we bought it from the Canadian group uh, out of uh, Toronto. Uh, the guy went belly up, I think, you know, and uh, so we, we got involved with this with a vision of creating great academy, great, uh, a lot of uh, stuff. Uh, we ran into the first two years uh, into COVID, obviously, that did not help. Yeah. But I did enjoy it. But unfortunately, it got short because of politics, uh, as always. Uh, I'm not a guy who argues with people. I learned how to be uh, uh, diplomatic at times. But if I don't believe in what I do, then, I, then I'm out. You know what I mean? So uh, we inherited a team who was in the B League and A League and everything else. Great, a great area, great uh, fan base some ways. Uh, brand new facilities. Uh, and But I was running too many things, Chris. I was running the, the concerts, all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to get good people, it's difficult. And uh, and then when you're working with uh, two guys who really don't care about the money until it costs a bit more than it's supposed to. Yeah. But we were, we were, we were still always under the, the, the uh, projection of the five, uh, five years and all that stuff. So uh, when we came out out of uh, the COVID, we, we threw five or six great concerts immediately because I've been fortunate enough to be friends with a lot of Live Nation guys. So they, we had a system that it would have worked perfectly. But unfortunately, uh, the team and the year three did not start off well. And I never, like, I can put it to you this way, that what I learned in Switzerland, it's a beautiful country. I enjoyed it every minute of it the, the journey and everything else i cannot say one bad thing but uh i realized what uh racism and uh basically racism and and hate uh that i never experienced like this in what I, way in what way well we, we saved the team this and that and I obviously we were making changes because we inherited the team with a big payroll and the 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 the, the uh, who was the uh, racism against and the hate against when you're not from there like oh, okay. I played there yeah. I played in Lugano and Beale yeah that's the the best answer right there if you're not from there yeah and, <laughs> and, and, and and you know like it's always like this like I, I was not surprised by it because if you go any European countries and everything else if things don't go well immediately even when i came here into north america fucking call me or this yeah. and, but but it's different because the north americans they, they they take you in for some reason if you prove yourself that you whatever you it's very different and what i find there is that uh for what i believe that they are and i just couldn't understood it like oh but the media like chris there was a guy that just rice for one of those local uh, uh, bleak. Uh, it's like the, the gossip thing, right? So uh, yeah. after several ways, he tried to insult certain things and everything else. And I, I, I met the guy and I said, I'm not talking to you ever again. You know, like you just fucking waste all my time. Yeah. So the guy took an initiative to just go after me day in, day out. Yeah. Uh, you know, convince the fans and all that stuff. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And I'm sitting there in year three, you know, and and the fucking fans are putting flags out like Svoboda needs to get out because he traded our favorite player. The guy couldn't fucking play hockey, but you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But he was one of theirs. So they're all pretenders, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying I've done everything right. Yeah. That's not what, but I, everything was an aspect of what I feel. And we, we could have really built something incredible there, especially yeah. in concert sites. We, we, I brought uh, Sting, um, God Malay, the, the, the Kenrick Lamar. So we, we, we knew that it was, but all of a sudden, the billionaires, uh, they, they want to be popular too. You know what I mean? That they, they don't like to be like involved in this. I said, guys, either we have the balls. And we stick by it, and within a year and a half to two years now, we're going to be laughing because I'm going to bring 50 to 60 concerts a year. That will really create the whole aspect of the academy and everything, so it will feed itself. And they just, for some reason, the, the two politicians, the local guys, they come in and they had this, their speech, and it, it made zero sense, and they all yeah. of a sudden started to believe that. So I said to him, "This is coming down to either my group buys you guys out, or you guys do it on your own. There's no way of uh, once the trust is gone, it's gone. You know what I mean? And in, yeah. in sports nowadays, uh, Chris, you cannot. Uh, you know, people try to wonder uh, why certain franchises don't win for so many years and this and that because there's no consistency. You you need to go through pain for a while." Yeah. But the, 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 in the new world, now we want everything immediately now. Yeah. And what I find that most of the people that are in higher positions right now, I, I can say I, I'm, I'm wealthy enough not to do anything in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so I never suck up to anybody. I would never do be a friend because you can do something for me. But I'm loyal. And... After so, many, uh, after so many experiences that you have, you know what's right and what's wrong. I know there's a new era of players. You need to be kind to them. You need to explain that to them the right way. And, you, you know, you need to make them grow into themselves. But one thing you cannot be in life is dishonest. Because, yeah. you know what, how can you learn from something when you cannot tell the person nice way or many different ways that we need to change the course of actions for us to be successful? Yeah. Right. So it come down to that. And, you know, so I, 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 I let it go. And, you know, for a good reasons, you know, like, you know, what I'm, what, what's happening to me with, with, you know, right now, but, yeah. but I don't regret it. it. It was a great experience. I, I knew that if we would have sticked around for a longer period of time, we could have created something incredible, you know, for, for entertainment standpoint, I learned tremendously. I learned one thing, though, that it's really difficult nowadays to trust someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the people who have the most time are usually the biggest shit disturbers. Mm-hmm. The ones who don't do very much, and they, every day, have an agenda how to fuck it up. <laughs> you know? No, I mean, I was an import player there, Nux, and I sucked. And when you're an import that sucks in Switzerland... <laughs> It yeah. is awful. Like, I mean, yeah. the media, I mean, they'll just, I remember we'd do interviews. We'd win like a game five to one. And the, the first question they would ask me was like, you didn't score. I'm like, well, damn, it, it, damn, it, damn it. And, and you, for sure, you learn one thing, you, you know, like, that's what I see. It's still that the game did not, pres- um, the management is trying to do 
eat right, uh, train right. You know, there's so many ways you can train. And But if you're happy between your ears and if someone gives you the support and the, the, those difficult times, that's what you need. That's eventually is going to come with you, right? Because when the trust is not there, doesn't matter from what generation you come in, you will never excel. So I brought great imports over there. And it takes time because, you know, they can, yeah. they, they feel it's going to be easy. They need to readjust. <laughs> it's the same thing as coming back. Yeah. And you, you, you need to introduce them that the Swiss players are not, maybe probably are not as talented, but they they like uh, the country. Uh, they When you tell them to be there, they will stay there until uh, the bus will hit them. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but they they in shape, they can skate, and, they, you know, they compete. But eventually... Uh, the talent that of the North American guys will take over, but you need to support them for a while. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing in Montreal, Chris. You know what I mean? If you yeah. listen to every fan, and you get, that's I think Serge was genius in that. Um, oh no, Peter, that's so true. Yeah, I just felt like you're right, spot on with like the as an import player in Switzerland, the beautiful country. Yeah, it was like they would. It was like they would fake, be like, "Oh, welcome," and like you know, we're happy to have you. But then they're hey. waiting. They're waiting for the first game. You don't score. <laughs> like they just want a hundred percent and they actually are kind of happy and it's just small 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 time mentality i don't think they are bad people no but, but it's just that that's the way they are you know what i mean and uh they celebrate you but it's still if you're not from there yep yeah they could ever show you the most they, they, they think they are better than any country in the world <laughs> yeah they do yeah but they it do. is a beautiful place though lausanne's a nice little city huh it's amazing. Like I enjoyed yeah. every minute of it. The, the location, uh, it's the lake. Uh, you know, I still get a lot of good friends. You know what I mean? I find some good people there. But they, they, that's they, they, I, I don't blame them. That's how they. That's how they grew up. And it's the environment of don't change too much. Yeah. Uh, just follow the rules. Yeah. You know, and it's very different from what they were, what I believe. You know. So where do you live now? I live uh, in Montreal. I just oh, I, in still, Montreal. I still I still have a house in uh, Lausanne. I, I still have oh, a, you do? Uh, nice. yeah. I've got a house in Montreal, and my daughter just now uh, we find out that she's got a lymphoma about a month ago. So she's in New York. So I gotta spend with her the next six months. You know. And they were tennis players. I was reading they you were down at Saddlebrook there in Florida for tennis yeah. and all uh, that. They yeah. live in Saddlebrook. After I retire, we we we, we, then we stay there for about another five years because I didn't want to. They can get out out of yeah. their environment, you know what I mean? So it was wonderful, yeah. Anyway, Peter, uh, so yeah. awesome. I want to wish you nothing but the best moving forward and good health to um, Jessica. Thank uh, you. I, appreciate I know you're going through a difficult time right now. Yeah. And um, and my prayers and thoughts will certainly be with you and your family. Uh, on that, no that. question. Thank and you, um, make sure you say hello to Alex from us and... Oh, well, for sure. Good stuff, buddy. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.